Akame, and was gone wild week four. Thank you for joining us once again. But sadly, we have still no action going on because of this virus. So hope everybody's staying safe out there, safe and healthy, and let's get her going again. Yeah, no soccer action, and you still don't have power out in Hawaii. How about that? I know, right? <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> All right, so like Poopa said, this is Blem. Um, welcome, everybody, to MLS Week 4. This is our second week in a row without any MLS action. So we're going to bring you guys some content outside of the everyday MLS analysis and recap and what have you. So this week we're going to cover a little bit of a wider spectrum of content. We're going to talk about the MLS's biggest exports, so players that have played within the MLS system and we have sold elsewhere to Europe or other big respective leagues around the globe. And we'll also talk about some of the league's biggest imports, so players that we brought in. We'll discuss kind of whether the MLS is considered a retirement league or these players are coming in at an older age and still making the league better. We'll have that discussion. We'll also talk about the, M- or the U.S. men's national team and the number of players that from the MLS and players they're pulling from leagues that are playing in other countries as well and how coaches are selecting those players to pull into the U.S. men's national team pool. But first, we're going to start off with a little bit of a, a fun side. We're each going to pick five players. Uh, it's an MLS five-a-side. I think what we'll do, even though nobody will probably do it, after we give you guys our five players that we're going to play or pick, we will post it to Twitter. And if we have any fans out there that want to vote, which you probably don't, vote who has the the best five-a-side team. So it'll be a goalie, two defenders, a midfielder, and a forward. Or if you're Poopus, you can just draft five defenders and have nobody else and just hope your team would score goals. You got that right. And they will. They'll make it happen. (laughs) All right, so we'll we'll go ahead and start off with that. What we get so the rules that we've kind of established for this is four of our players that we have on our team have to be currently playing in the MLS, and our fifth player can be like MLS legend or a player that no longer plays in the MLS. So what we can do, guys, we can go around and give our one like legendary player first, and we can each take turns giving that, and then we can go around and give like you know, who the rest of our four is. So, Dakota, we haven't heard from you yet. Who's, uh, first of all, introduce yourself and, you know, who who is your one legend that you have to build around on your team? Yeah, so I hope everybody's doing well. Um, going through this kind of five-a-side thing, I kind of, I went more as uh, my coaching aspects, my coaching coming out here. Um but for my legend, I picked uh, Landon Donovan. I went with the legend, uh, Landon Donovan, for that uh, legend aspect of my team. Hey, I've already watched him score goal tonight. I'm watching the 2003 MLS Cup on YouTube. Uh, the uh, comeback against San Jose. Nah, no, nah, it's San Jose versus Chicago. Okay. The, the 2003 MLS uh, MLS Cup, and actually both Lane Donovan and Demarcus Beasley have scored, and I'm sure both of their names will come up later. All right, so so Dakota's got Lando. Poopas, who you got? I got my boy Clint Dempsey. Gotta go with my boy Clint Dempsey every time. It was a tough choice because it was either between him or Scalotto because, I mean, you know, I love Scalotto also, but I, I had to go for my, uh, my other boy Clint Dempsey for this one. What a shocking choice uh, that one is. Yeah, I wouldn't have expected nope. that. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> all right, so I went a, a non-U.S. men's national team player route. I picked Sebastian Giovinco for Toronto FC. Um, he was just a really dynamic player for Toronto. He, In his first year in the league, he won the MLS Player of the Year. Uh, he scored 68 goals, 114 performances. He led them in his very first year. He led Toronto FC to the playoffs for the first time. And then the very next year, they won the MLS Cup for the first time. So what he did in Toronto was unprecedented, especially there. And I think he's a good player to build around, especially in that midfield. I mean, there's plenty of other players you could have probably chosen from, like, the list of legends because there's plenty more out there. So I know know other people have different opinions other than us. Yeah, there could have been multiple players you could have picked from the list. It was just how you were setting up your team and who you really wanted in there, so – 
You are correct. Uh, so, uh, so, 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 Dakota, since you started us off, who, uh, who's the rest of your squad? So, the rest of my squad, I kind of went into a two-one-one kind of formation. Um, I have Stephen Fry as my goalkeeper. Um, I have Aaron Long as one of my defenders. Ilya Sanchez, uh, partnering him in that back line. I have Landon Donovan playing as a midfielder, and then uh, Wondolowski playing up top as my forward there. Yeah, see, so he's like one of those MLS legends that still plays in the league, so that's, that's a good little Yeah, play. him and Donovan, I think that could have been uh, like the prime Donovan and that late Wando, the most recent Wando, I think could have been a dynamic duo up top for any team within the MLS. Yeah, that would have been fun to watch. Poopa, see you got. So, for my goalkeeper, you know, Dakota had to take mine, so I got stuff from Fry also. He's like, I mean, he's been in the league for a while, but he's always been a big impact for Seattle. I mean, he's a, he's, he's really been a, a, a bigger person in goal in the, in the MLS, honestly, uh, from what I think. And then for defense, I got Warmger from Columbus because I was watching his highlights from uh, SK Brand when he played over overseas, and he was he's not afraid to go to tackles. He's super aggressive, which I like. So and he's not afraid to get a card, which I also like. So that was a big part of why I took him. And then another person I got, I got Dax McCarty from my defensive mid. He's been in the league also for a while, but he know he moves the ball well still, and he can he switches the field and still has. Like complete ball control, and then I got, of course, my other man Polito from SKC. I feel like I could have called that one. Yeah, <laughs> I should have been thinking that. I totally slipped my mind. I should have known that would name was coming out sooner or later. So I think it's not strange, but I can't believe you guys didn't do it. So up top for one of my my only forward, I have Carlos Vela up there. I mean, I was thinking about him, but I mean, every, everybody's gonna take Vela. So, hey, you guys did. And I, I know. I uh, I'll put him on the I, list. And but, like, like nah. Dakota, Dakota, like you said, the Wando and the um, uh, Lane and Donovan partnership would have been a good one. I think Giovinco and Carlos Vela would be pretty fun to watch. To be honest with you, so those are my two most forward-playing players. Uh, with Giovinco playing in the midfield. And then my two defenders had to pick up my boy Jonathan Mensa, Columbus Crew center back, kind of like uh, the guy Poopas picked. How do you say his name, Poopas? I don't want to butcher like it. Warm Gord? Warm Gord? Yeah, something yeah. like that. Warm Gord. They're both big. They're both aggressive. They're key parts of the Columbus Crew, so I had to pick up my boy Jonathan Mensa. And then Ike Par. Ike has got two goals already in two games. So for, I was thinking about uh, him at all. From Minnesota United, the guy wears some great uh, headgear. He does podcasts as well, so I had to show him a little bit of love. And then my goalkeeper, I picked Bill Hamid for DC United. Yeah, it's funny. I really like that Ikopara. I actually had him on my team until about 10, 20 minutes before we FaceTimed earlier to go over the go over everything. But I I was thinking have him as a defender, but also getting up into the attack, providing the assist, playing some dirty balls. It's a good pickup there. I agree with that. He would have been good. Man, I had a couple good ones. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So so we've done our so we've done our MLS five aside. Like I said before, I'll I'll try to log on to Twitter after this or tomorrow and put up our team. I'm intrigued to see who and... gets who gets the votes here. If we get any yeah. votes, I don't know. We don't have a great deal of followers, so we'll, we'll try to People get need to chime in. That's why. People need to start chiming in. Yeah, we need to continue to advertise and get our names out there. But thank you to the people that do listen to it. We do, we do appreciate it. And we do appreciate any feedback we get. Huh. All right. So we've already talked about our MLS 5 aside. Uh, in the intro, I kind of told you guys what we're going to be talking about. The next thing we're going to be speaking about is – the biggest MLS exports, the people that we're sending out from the MLS to play in other bigger leagues, either on loan or that have been sold. And then we're going to talk about the biggest players that we brought in first. Uh, which one would you guys like to talk about, the imports or the exports first? I think we should go with the imports first. All right. Poopas, who do you got? Who's like some of the biggest players you can think of that came into the MLS that kind of shaped and changed the league? Uh, let's see. I mean, 
Yeah, but I mean, you can't go wrong with David Beckham. Like David Beckham is a big one. Let's see who else. Who else can I think of? Uh, you got well right now. Even right now, Carlos Vela. Like Carlos Vela is huge for LAFC, and like he's pretty much he's pretty much like a monster for for the whole league league of MLS right now. I mean, the man is a goal scorer, and he just he he tears shit up. He really does. Yeah, I mean, he's right now he's so good that last thing I saw, one of the rumors was FC Barcelona was interested in, you know, signing him. So there's there's big clubs still after Carlos Vela, just depending on if he wants to go or not. You got anybody else, Poopus? No, nah, that's about it right now. Uh, all right, Dakota, who do you got? Yeah, I think Brandon really – Brandon, are you sure, like, you didn't prepare for this? Because, like, did you somehow get a copy of my notes? No, I'm not. My website's slow. So Are you sure? The internet's slowing down. Guy's got no power, so if his phone dies, we're sorry. <laughs> I was I was going to say, I mean, Poopus kind of read my mind. I went with Valen Beckham. Um, the way Beckham was able to play at such a old age, like such a high age still coming into the MLS, being able to play the type of balls and everything, being as class as he was. And then you got Carlos Vela. I mean, Carlos Vela is Carlos Vela. I mean, Hopefully we see players that come in later in the future or more in the future that are Vela type, but it's going to be hard to live up to his shoes after him being the latest, like, big-time import. Yeah, I mean, Beckham's like the – I mean, face of soccer all over the world too, so. Yeah. Yeah, I think Beckham, yeah, and once I think Beckham came over, I really think the league kind of, like, finally hit a mark where it could take off. And now he owns his own, own team too, so yeah, he owns Inter Miami. So yeah, obviously he's doing he's doing a lot right for the for the game of soccer. Yeah, I agree. I think David Beckham's at the top of my list, and I think he has to be at the top of everybody's list. He kind of, you know, he was he was a great player at that time, and he came in and he changed the LA Galaxy, and he won a title for him. But more importantly than winning games for LA, I think. He changed the whole landscape of the MLS and how the entire business itself was ran. And I think the whole David Beckham experiment is kind of going to run how the rest of our episode goes, you know. Then, then like, I mean, even, like, David Beckham is, like, he didn't, like, look at all the other big players that have, like, been faced with, like, face of soccer. But David Beckham keeps on going even after, like, like he's done playing. He just keeps giving back to the world of soccer. Yeah. And so after David Beckham, some of the other big names that I have listed. So he just started a trend. When they brought in David Beckham, the amount of revenue that that team brought in and their sponsorships that they were getting and the amount of season ticket holders that were coming in and VIP boxes that were getting sold out, like it was crazy. And I think that we – I don't know if we talked about it in the last podcast, but I skipped homecoming my freshman or sophomore year to go watch – the, the blackout at Crew Stage. Oh, when David we were all there. Yeah. The yeah. Yeah. We all skipped homecoming because we love girls. <laughs> uh, but anyways, D- David Beckham started the trend. Like, he was a great player in the league, but he m- he meant so much for the league and the, the direction the league was trying to go. Because before him, they didn't really have a big name. And after him followed Thierry Henry in 2010, who, you know, just like David Beckham, David Beckham's, you know, a part owner, GM of Inter Miami. Thierry Henry is the, the manager of Montreal Impact. So he's still within the MLS. He believes in the system. He believes in the game that they're playing here. Uh, after that, we had Kaká. Kaká came in and played for Orlando City. Um, and he was phenomenal there. That team has always kind of struggled, never really had any playoff success. But he made that team really fun And then you had, uh, you had David Villa and uh, Pirlo for NYFC also. Exactly. And Pirlo, did, he's not as big as – commercial of a name is David Beckham, but, you know, overall he's probably just as an important player in the entire game of soccer and the history of it. Yeah, I think more of David Beckham's success over here and growing the game like he did was more off the field than on the field. Just having Beckham as a presence in the U.S. around the league and being associated with the league really helped him more than anything, I think. Yep, I agree. And then two other names I have just real quick that um, – we can talk about after we talk about the imports is Wayne Rooney and Zlatan. They both came in in 2018. They both did their time. Wayne Rooney left and went to Derby County to be Derby. What a player. 
Yeah, Darby County, I'm sorry, to be a player coach. And then Zlatan went back to AC Milan. Yeah, yeah, yeah he went back to AC. You guys have any other big MLS players that we've, you know, brought into the league? No, I don't. Not that I can think of. Not that. Not many that have had the success and the impact that those guys have. Yeah, I agree. All right, so we've covered imports. You guys want to talk about the best players, either homegrown or players that have played in the MLS that we've. Uh, either loaned out or sold to bigger clubs across the the world. I mean, yeah, I mean, right off the bat, I think like DeAndre Yedlin. Like, I mean, I know, like, I mean, Christian Pulisic. He's from the United States, but he hasn't played in the MLS. So, he like, didn't Yedlin, play for an academy either. Yeah. So, I mean, that that also a part. But Yedlin, I mean, he was playing with the Sounders for a while, and then he's over. Mm-hmm. I think he's still with Newcastle, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, and I. I didn't I, – I probably did know this, but I forgot. But when he originally was sold to the Premier League – well, to a Premier League team, he was originally sold to Everton. Oh, I didn't know that. I did not know that. Yeah. I did not know that either. Yeah, he's had a couple stints with different teams before landing at Newcastle. He was even at Tottenham for a while too. Yeah, I mean, Yedlin, he's been like – I mean, he did, he did really well in the MLS, but he's been, he's been hitting a miss in the Premier League, though, big time. Yeah, it's just it's a different style of play. Playing for Newcastle, you don't hear a lot about him. So hopefully, yeah. I think it's more of him being just an average player over there instead of him being like one of the top players in the MLS. I mean, and then another, I mean, another person I can think of right off the bat that also play, plays with Newcastle is Elmiron. So come from Atlanta. Yeah, Elmiron is, he's been doing good over there. He's starting to really find his place within that team and really taking stride in his efforts and getting more game time it's going to be good to see him succeed here soon oh yeah for sure yeah i i talked to you guys i think through text about it earlier this week you know since the mls is showing all these old school games you know whether it's mls cup or some of the classic playoff games um what i i mentioned to you guys i think of al marone and the way al marone can run and just run through a midfield I think that he would absolutely have dominated. Like, I'm watching the San Jose and Chicago game right now from the 2003 MLS Cup. His speed and the way he plays, I think, and the way that the the rest of the Atlanta team played with him, I think he would absolutely dominate in a time like this. Well, I mean, you got to look at how much, like, how much advance that MLS has actually come from back in the day. And, like, watching these classic, like, classic games and stuff, actually realize, like, the game has gotten a lot faster. It's not up to, like, mm-hmm. the English Premier League or anything like that, but it definitely has gotten a lot faster, and the skill work and everything like that has definitely expanded big time. Yeah, I agree. Good point, Poopus. Yeah, so – All right. Go ahead. So, going with my exports, um, my biggest export, I think, has been Alfonso Davies, um, Canadian from Vancouver. He signed with Bayern Munich a couple years ago. He's really finding stride over there, really big. Um, it also helps that he's one of the only exports that are really getting big-time minutes right now. Tyler Adams is another one I thought of. He's just coming back from injury. I think Tyler will have a big-time uh, career once he can get fully healthy and get consistent minutes under his belt. And then I have Weston McKinney as well, who didn't play in the MLS, but he came from the FC Dallas Academy. Um, signed a contract with Shakao before he was supposed to go to UVA to play. So he's going to be another one. He has a big future ahead of him. Yeah. Uh, Weston McKinney actually signed his national letter of intent to UVA and then later decided that he's going to explore options to go pro. And that was probably a really good decision on his part. Have you guys seen any of these TikTok live videos between McKinney and uh, Pulisic as well? I, I saw the Renegade or whatever. Yeah, I saw that says, one. Yeah. These things are absolutely hilarious. Listeners, if you have not seen them yet, please go find them. Pulisic uh, needs to find his dance skills, though. His dance skills are a little off, though. So. Weston's or Pulisic's? I thought Pulisic. Pulisic was pulling some good ones. Pulisic. You can tell he's a white boy. Uh, Yeah. I mean, he is white. Well, I'm just saying, his so- dance moves. <laughs> oh, my goodness. 
Because, Dakota, you know all of us, we can't dance either unless we're absolutely slithered on alcohol. So I don't know. I got some moves. All right. Well, let's just, Not let's me. just keep going. Let's keep going. So I will comment on this since you brought up the video. I think that I forgot, but the the half sleeve that Pulisic has on his right yeah. arm, I love it. Love it. It's filthy. Yeah. Love it. I don't know what's on there, but I just saw the, the ink on there. I was like, oh, that's, that's kind of cool. I don't even really like tattoos, but I like that. <laughs> All right, Dakota, do you have any other exports? No, those were the only three I have. I think a lot of our young players over in Europe right now signed contracts before they even were a part of an academy, didn't go to an academy or started out in Europe because they're dual citizens. Right. So I will – I'm going to throw it back a little bit and not talk – well, I'm going to talk – there's probably some players within my list that are recent. But I don't know what the partnership is that the MLS has with Fulham, but we've had a number of players end up getting sold to Fulham and play for them. Dempsey? So, Dempsey, baby. Yeah, Clint Dem- McBride? Clint Dempsey. Yeah, Glimpsey. Or Glimpsey. Clint- <laughs> <laughs> you don't get my boy so, wrong. Clint- yeah, Clint Dempsey, Brian McBride, Eddie Johnson, and Eddie Lewis um, all ended up at Fulham. There's probably more, but that's just the list that I found. I had DeAndre Yedlin on that one, Poopa, so good job. And also, I've noticed that I, I have two goalies from the MLS listed here, but I'm pretty sure there's a couple other, but notably Tim Howard. He ended up getting sold to Manchester United. Uh, I forgot all about that, or I did not know that. And then Brad Friedel actually played at Liverpool. So I think those are the par- the partnership or whatever you want to call it between the MLS and Fulham, I think is intriguing. I don't know what the connection was there. And then also the U.S. goalkeepers, um, you know, where it seems like we're providing and exporting some, some good ones, players that have played for the U.S. men's national team, and they're playing for top clubs over in the English Premier League. So I think that's something that's that's interesting and something to talk about. And then and with the, and the and with that, I also think, yeah, a little bit. yeah, yep. And I was saying earlier that I was watching Landon Donovan and Demarcus Beasley play. And Demarcus Beasley also played elsewhere. He's played in Mexico. He's played. He played for PSV, I believe, um, in the Netherlands, and he played for a couple different teams. So I'm watching the 2003 MLS Cup, and two of the best players on the field, you know, got to play some of the best soccer in the in the world and some of the best leagues so i think that's that's pretty cool so dakota you touched on it earlier with the tyler adams weston mckinney and alfonso davies all of them came up through the academy system Uh, mckinney did not sign a homegrown contract but both tyler adams and alfonso davies did you guys want to talk a little bit about the homegrown contracts and the overall academy system Dakota I know you have some feelings about yeah, this. Get it going Dakota yeah um I really don't I'll start with the draft so like you don't know how to uh so the MLS was kind of very similar to any other Americanized league it has a draft every year for eligible players coming out of college and the drive is in best terms ridiculous um i don't get it the point of the draft within the mls is absolutely terrible um so i was going back through the first round this year only five of the 26 picks have made appearances and this is kind of normal a lot of them get loaned to the usl 13 have been loaned to the usl this year four have no contracts so they never even signed with the team that drafted them in the first round. If we're using this draft to get players into the MLS and we're just loaning them back out, I mean, I don't know if it's like most of it's a skill level, I believe. I don't think they're quite ready for the MLS. But at the same time, what's the point of having a draft if we're just going to get rid of the kids anyway? Um, There's not enough. I don't think there's enough kids within the soccer system to have this kind of draft where we're just going to loan them out kind of similar to what the MLB does. The MLB has does the same thing, but it's so many more kids. And I just, the draft just, I don't see the point of the draft. I mean, I agree too, because like 
I feel like if you're an owner of like MLS team or like the coach or like the scouting scouting team, I think like you already know who you're gonna go get. So if you're not gonna pick that, if you're not gonna pick a certain player, or if you already know what player you want, I mean, you shouldn't be a draft because you're already gonna go after him. So, and why why waste the time of every everybody else in the draft that gets drafted and then ends up with another team? Like, just just go go get go sign who you want and then just let it go from there. Because I mean, like. Like you said, Dakota, like it's a it's an American sport, so they're gonna follow every other sport in America. Yeah, so. I just don't think it's giving these kids enough. Like, there's not enough exposure or well being for them. I mean, just have a USL team for each MLS team. Not even M- every MLS team has a USL team. So every MLS team should have a USL team, in my opinion. You draft these kids after they're 18, they can either go to college or they can come play for you, or you draft them or you sign them after college, just like a homegrown contract. But then you keep them close to home where you can monitor them every single day. You got kids getting drafted to Columbus or signing homegrowns to Columbus, which I'll get into later, but then you're loaning them out to Phoenix Rising or Orange County FC. And it's just like, how can you maintain their? well-being or maintain their player development when you have no say in how they develop or what system or how they're coached or anything like that. I think it just, it doesn't make sense because at the end of the day, you're just getting them out because you don't have room on your roster because you're bringing in all these other players. So to touch on what you're saying, I mentioned earlier that the David Beckham experiment was going to come back up again. I think that definitely plays a role here. I think that the MLS draft, like you guys have said, is a way to Americanize the game. And I think that's, that is a way for them to ensure that they're bringing in American players and there's home based players, not necessarily homegrown, but players that have played college ball within the U S but at the same time, it's almost contradicting what their business plan is, you know, Right now, and since the David Beckham experiment, we've been importing, you know, we only talked about the big imports. We bring in so many players from South America and other countries every year, big name players that fill spots that could be filled by these, these young American players. And I have a stat here. So in 2018, out of all of the minutes played in the MLS by all players, only 42.2% of the minutes were played by U.S. born players. So less than half were played were uh, played by U.S. born players. In Germany, Germany was what they were the were they the 2014 World Cup winners? Like... I I think they were according to this article. I believe that's the year they're referring to. But anyways, they're 50 50. Um, 50 of their 50% of the, the minutes played by players is from German born players elsewhere. The, the rest of the minutes played are players from other countries. But the thing is so, with that one, you have German th- players in every other league as well. You have German players all over the place. Exactly. And I think that also comes with, you know, what are, what is your country's big sports predominantly here in America? It's, you know, our basketball, our football in Germany and England and those other countries their big sport is soccer. So I think it comes down to, you know, what the rest of the country wants to watch as well. It's, it's, it's entertainment for them as, you know, we crowd around, crowd around the TV on Sundays to watch, you know, our Cleveland Browns, our Pittsburgh Steelers play, you know, these other countries are, are, you know, watching the, the whole country or the whole city of London is watching either, you know, Arsenal or Chelsea. So, I think the the viewership plays a big role in it too. You know what's popular. In I wouldn't. The country. Even, well, even like, I wouldn't even stop it there. I'd go all the way back down to the grassroots and the development of these players. I mean, even if we don't have as many players wanting to play soccer, I mean, why is our development so much slower? Our development should be at the same pace as the other countries. I mean, it shouldn't take. We shouldn't have. We shouldn't be so far behind if we're developing our players the correct way, the right way, and doing it at a way we should which I'll get into later with the whole – with the model within the college game that I'm going to bring up. But it's just like 
I think we need to develop our players. We're not developing our players at the rate or the uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? Capacity as we are capable of. Yeah. No, I, I agree. So I have an interesting quote here from Christian Pulisic. He says, in regards to the – excuse me. In, in regards to U.S. men's national team soccer and the MLS in general, it says – it really does frustrate me when I watch MLS and I see our best U-17 players not being put on the field much yeah. to actually play. And that's so, and that's why our that's why our U.S. men's national team doesn't advance like other countries because nobody nobody's giving a chance for the young players to play, and it doesn't it can't. I mean, honestly, it doesn't boost their attitude for. I mean, it does get chosen for the national team. But, I mean, their skill level isn't there like other countries, and that's why we struggle against, you know, some of the other uh, countries that aren't up to par, which, I mean, is sad because we, we should be up top because we're the United States national team. So And we can't even send them overseas because it's nearly impossible to get a visa at a young age unless you're a dual citizen. It's yeah. so easy to get a visa here to play soccer, but when we try to send our players over there, it's nearly impossible. So what do you guys think is the ideal situation for a an elite academy player that's 16 years old? Do you go to college? And to just clarify, you can still sign a homegrown contract out of after going to college. And if you sign that contract, that means you're not subject to the MLS draft. You can go to the team that you played your academy ball with. But if you're a 16-year-old elite soccer player, you're within the academy system, you graduate in two years. Are you going to go play at an Akron or no. a UVA? Mm-hmm. Or are you are you going to sign for an MLS team? Or, or are you going to do what Weston McKinney did and explore options overseas and possibly go to, you know, Schalke in Germany or some other premier club? Until, as, as a college coach, until you – and knowing how this works day in and day out, until we figure out our college, uh, like, model, you do not go to college. The best route to go is going, signing a homegrown contract and going to the USL or whatever because you're literally practicing, getting touches on the ball every single day. You're doing skills. The problem with the college right now is we're playing too many games within a short amount of time, not leaving much time for development. Um, So I know going off my schedule, we play every Friday and Sunday. Mondays we get off. Tuesday's a day where we practice. Wednesday's Tuesday's more of a little bit of recovery. Wednesday's a practice. Thursday's a walkthrough, pretty much recovery. And then fr- we play Friday. We recover Saturday. We play Sunday. We get no time to actually do exercises or drills that are going to help these players in the long term. So pretty much what you're saying, Dakota, is like you pretty much have to go on your own time and work on your skill level and stuff yeah, like and that. Yeah, and that's the college level you don't have time to do that because of classes and everything else yeah and within the usl or going overseas you're at least training every single day you're playing one game a week you're doing trainings you're just living the professional lifestyle where all you're doing is getting touches on the ball you don't have to worry about anything else so you have time to do that extra work you have time to focus on practice and everything else and the quality of games is higher because you're only playing one a week. Yeah, so there has been some talks within the NCAA, and there has been some backing by, like, Big Ten coaches, ACC coaches, and what have you for um, NCAA men's soccer, at least. The women's side is probably going to follow suit. The support on the women's side isn't as strong right now, so it's not going to – happen at the same time unfortunately right so they're talking about basically a complete restructure so instead of like what you're experiencing right now dakota's you know cramming everything into just a fall season so you report at the end of august and you know you're done by thanksgiving so you play you know 20 20 plus games depending on how you how far you go in your conference tournament the ncaa tournament and then you have you know five you know possibly a game Saturday and a game Wednesday, and then you practice every other day and you get Sunday off. 
So the big issue the NCAA has with that is just, you know, not burnout, but overuse of the young student athlete body that leads to injury. Um, I was probably a victim to that. I tore my ACL with no contact. It was a no contact injury. Tore my ACL, partially tore my MCL and fractured my tibia. Um, and it's not a pity story, but it happens to athletes in every sport all across the country. Um, and, you know, it could be attributed to overuse. You know, you're going, going, going for those two and a half months. So what they're – and also one of the other issues that they're encountering is the student athlete doesn't really have time to be a student in those three months because you're constantly traveling, constantly practicing. You're, I mean, you're absolutely exhausted. So what they're proposing is splitting into a fall and spring season you're going to spend the same amount of hours with the team. You're going to play the same amount of games. You're going to have the same amount of practices, but they're just going to split it across the fall and the spring, which would allow you to have basically a year's worth of training. Uh, you know, right now in NCAA soccer, you have your fall season, which is your season that counts. And then your spring season where you get a couple scrimmages and, you know, you get X X amount of practices, but like, how functional really is that to be honest with you it's time to be together as a team but if you spread a season that actually matters out across the whole year it's going to save a whole lot of bodies and it's really going to i think it'll prepare college players better for the mls yeah i definitely do too i mean a lot of what we're doing even i mean and this is at the d3 level so i'm not i couldn't imagine what they're doing at the d1 level but it's just like Every single day you're preparing for your next opponent. You don't have time to waste to be like, hey, let's do a fundamental drill where we're learning to working on our touch or working on our shooting. You just don't have time for that. And it's it's irritating. I mean, it's frustrating because especially at the D1 level where your players are going to go pro, some of them are going to go pro, and then they go pro. I mean – Looking at the draft this year, the second draft pick, like the second pick in the draft is in the USL. If you're a second draft pick, you should be good enough to be playing and getting first team minutes. And you're just not. And that's, it's frustrating. And that's where our college programs and our college model really hurts our athletes. Yeah, Poopus, do you have any thoughts on that? No, I mean, I never never played college soccer like you guys, so you have, to, you have more experience than that. So that's why, like, you guys you guys pretty much know, like, the rundown. I mean, even, the, like, even the coach, him being a coach, so he knows, he knows a little bit more on how that system works also. Yeah, it's just – it's pressure. I mean, I'm reading a quote from Musk, the head coach at Wake Forest. He says, after we played Tuesday – Wednesday is recovery. If we play Friday, Thursday is recovery and preparation. Where is the development? If we don't get better in the preseason, then when do we have time for it? That's and exactly I mean, wait, correct. how much do you actually touch a ball in preseason? A lot of it's fitness. You're doing a lot of fitness to get ready for the season. Like you don't get a lot of hours. Like preseason might sound like you do get a lot of hours, but you, in short term and in the face of it, you really don't once you get into it. If you're looking from the outside in, you're like, oh, they get tons of time to do it. But once you really get going, you don't get time. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Whether you do, you know, preseasons like two a days or three a days, and regardless of what structure your your coach has given you, you only have X amount of hours mandated by the NCAA that you guys can spend together as a team, you know, on the ball or doing conditioning drills or what have you. So, uh, and I, I agree, you know, college coaches are assuming that their players are doing the conditioning work over the summer, which, you know, from my experience, most are doing that work. But even when you're, you know, you're working alone and you're doing your thing, you may not come back all the way in game shape. You may, you may run and pass a, a mile test. You may pass the man you or, or what have you. You may pass the weightlifting test, but that doesn't mean you're, you're game ready or you're in game shape. So that's what they're preparing you for in preseason. So it's you're you're completely right about that. The on the ball time is it's not necessarily limited, but it's it's not as much as it should be in the college game to really develop how you know you play. And you know, especially with college, you're bringing in kids from all over the place that 
have played in different systems growing up and as they went through high school and you're trying to get them all to buy into one thing. So there's a lot of different aspects in college ball that, you know, can not necessarily hurt the game, but not prepare the the player. Yeah, especially like preseason, you can go back to preseason with everybody being from a a different part of the country or at the division one level, different countries in general, you're working more on getting them familiar with your game model, especially the freshmen. You're getting them working together. You're not focused on let's how many touches can we get on a ball today? How many good first touches can we get? Can we work on this? Can we work on that? Because essentially you only get two to three weeks and that's not enough time to do any of that. It takes two weeks to get a game model in even if your players are the best in the country. And I feel like I, I feel like the United States will actually want us to advance their players on like their quality of skill and everything like that. I feel like they're definitely going to have to enforce this change in college soccer. Like you guys. Are yeah. Saying. They were supposed to vote on it in April. I'm not sure. I haven't seen anything, whether that vote's going to still take place or not. Hopefully it does. But from what I've read and heard the, the likeliness of it passing at the D1 level on the men's side is pretty good, hopefully. So hopefully, fingers crossed, we can get that passed and we can really start developing players. Yeah, and so our our system here in America is completely different than, you know, what's being fed into the Premier League. Like, most of our players, when when you go to college and you play college soccer, you're not coming out until you're 22. By the time you're 22, there's players have been playing over in the Premier League for six years since they were 16, 17 years old, getting first team experience, whether that be trash minutes or whether that be experience in lower level games. Or, or even practicing you, but, with them. Uh, I mean, that's a tough part over yeah. here. We have like the PDL and we have all these summer leagues, but it's nearly impossible to even get on a training squad in one of these teams. Just to even get the experience yeah. of practicing with them. Yep. So I, I give credit to somebody like Weston McKinney that really evaluated his situation and said, you know, and, and I am not going to not advocate for the college game of soccer. And I'm sure you won't either because it's a great experience. It's been one of the greatest experiences of my life. It kind of shaped who I am, but at the same time, you know, I, I played D3. If I want, if I was going D1 and I was an elite soccer player, I would have to have a real conversation with myself and my family and say, you know, what, what, what do I need to do to, put myself yeah. in the best position so we'll uh well we actually won't close that up because we were still kind of talking about the imports and exports and while we were talking i came up with a question that i typed out for us so the mls we've talked about the imports and the exports and the big names that we've given so is the mls a retirement league or is it a feeder league that's you know producing good players and sending them elsewhere which one is it or is it somewhere in between I think it's somewhere in between because I, I, there's a lot of players actually that come to the MLS. Like, I mean, Frank Lampard came here and then retired after that too. So it's, it's just in between because, I mean, there's there are players in, like, the United States and, like, MLS that actually have the skill level and stuff, and they actually advance their skills while they're playing in the MLS to take it overseas. Like, Afonso Davies, he, he did that. And and look what he's doing for Byron. But, like, I think I feel like it's an in-between system here. Uh, Blake, if you want to go, give me a couple more minutes. I think it's this is tough. This this is a tough one for me to really come up with a sound answer. Or yeah. So the way I worded it might have made it a tougher question, but a lot of people refer to the MLS, especially people that you know are big time Premier League fans or German Bundesliga fans. They'll refer to the MLS as. You know, the, the retirement league, because for the Germans, you know, Schweinsteiger came here at the end of his career. And, you know, David Beckham kind of came here at the end of his career. So we, they, there's been a lot of different players the, that have come to the MLS at the end of their careers. So they'll dub it as a retirement league. I don't know if that's necessarily the correct term or not. I Like Poopa said, I think it's somewhere in between. I think it's interesting. We've had most notably like Elaine and Donovan a Brian McBride and a Clint Dempsey who have all played in the MLS been sold elsewhere. So Donovan to Everton McBride to Fulham and also Clint Dempsey to Fulham. They've all been sold to premier league teams and I'm sure there's other players as well, but then they've all been sold back to the MLS. 
So that's why I think it's somewhere in between. At that rate, it is a feeder league. But then at the same time, like these guys are at the end of their career and they get sent back here. So it's probably like a good tribute for them to come back here. But at the same time, you know, they've, they've been, they left and they've, and they've come back. So I think it's, it's somewhere in between, but I think it all comes down to the MLS's business model and what they really want to do with the league. Uh, And, you know, I think that there, there's been a lot of conversations about the, you know, attendance to games and the revenue that teams are actually making. And, you know, that's kind of the, the back line of why the Columbus crew was going to move to Austin FC. You know, they just weren't making enough. We weren't getting enough attendance. And I think that comes down a lot to the players that you sign. And the money is where the players are. And the bigger player that you can sign and bring in, the more the more people that are going to come to watch. You know, a lot of people aren't going to come and watch a game for the number one MLS super draft pick, you know, because they've never seen him play ball. Like they were good in college, but do you really know that they're going to be good in the MLS? But like, if you sign David Beckham, of course I'm going to come. I'm going to skip homecoming and come. <laughs> um, so, so it kind of, it, it really, the MLS is trying. And like we said, we both Pupus and I feel it's somewhere in the middle. And I think the MLS in general lands right smack dab in the middle. of It's a feeder league and it's a retirement league. Because, I mean, so that, those, and, are, those are just my – And also, like, a lot of these players, like, they're still pretty young. And then, like, their, their top stars over in, like, Mexico or something like that, they don't have to come here. They can stay with, like, Liga MX and stuff like that. But they decided to come here because, I mean, I mean, yeah, they're going to get paid a lot more money and stuff sometimes. Like, uh, Zay Laurent, because he, he was a top player in Mexico. But, I mean, he didn't, he didn't have to come here. But he just wanted to – he came here and then looked, like – I feel like he, he's like he's gonna boost attendance for the Columbus crew. That's for sure, because the crew actually spent the money to bring big players here. But he's not coming here. I don't think he's coming here retired. Because who knows? He might get another contract down the road from like maybe a bigger bigger club or something like that. So I I feel like it's just, it's in the middle. So I uh, so I was going through this. I wouldn't say we're a retirement league before. A couple years ago, I definitely would have said we were in a retirement league. Um, But I won't go as far to say we're a feeder league either because we import too much for us to be an export league. We import way too many players for – and those players – it's more of a stepping stone league to me or a boredom league to me. So, like, the – so maybe boredom isn't the right word, but the way I'm looking at the boredom league is – a lot of these players who come from Mexico, from South America, I mean, Pupis, you brought up Zellerion. Zellerion literally won everything he could in Mexico. So he comes to the MLS just because he has nothing else to prove there. He comes just, just because. Like, it's not that he wanted to come, probably. He just wanted a different, like, achievement to win. Yeah, then what attracted him too was the money. That's the thing. Yeah, but it, that's what I'm saying. It's not like an attractive league for people to come to. It's just, hey, I can't go play in Europe or anywhere over there, So, and I don't want to stay here, so I might as well just go there. That's what I'm saying. It's not like It's not like a super attractive league where people want to stop what they're doing and come here. It's that they've already won all they can. They've done everything they they were supposed to. I can't go to Europe. I can't go to wherever. So let me just go there because that's my best option because I don't want to stay here. And that's why these owners in the MLS are willing to pay big money for these players overseas to get them here so they can boost attendance and make make pretty much make the league more attractive to people so people actually like watch the game over here in America. Which, going back to what we talked about before, is hurting – the American development and everything like that. See, somehow I knew everything was going to tie together tonight. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there was something that we missed earlier that I wanted to talk on. I just, my computer went dark and I just, I just pressed my cursor and it opened back up. But uh, the new Brush Dortmund player, not new Brush Dortmund player, but the newest American Brush Dortmund Gio. player, Gio Reyna. Yeah, so he played for the New York City FC Academy until 2019, and then he signed for Brush Dortmund. Gio's got a hell of a career he, uh, in front of him. 
yeah, I, there's he's got a highlight that's all over social media when they were I don't know if it was a Champions League game there's or whatever. Goal against but he Barcelona at the corner of the. Yep. That's the exactly what I'm League talking Youth about. Cup. Yep. Yep. He's filthy. He's gonna he's gonna take yeah, the yeah. U.S. somewhere. That's that kid's got yeah, such a bright future. Well, perfect, Dakota. Great segue. You said the word U.S., and I'm going to run with it. We'll get away from the import-export game that we've been in for a while um, and everything in between. Let's talk about the U.S. men's national team. You guys had an argument over text earlier this week, and I thought it was a great opportunity for us to discuss it on the podcast. Uh, Dakota, it yes. seemed like you didn't think that there were enough MLS players within the MLS or the U.S. men's national team rosters for recent tournaments and Poopus, you thought that there was plenty of MLS players. You guys want to discuss? Well, from based on their last, uh, who who they played last before the, everything got uh, postponed. Okay, who they played? Are we talking about November? Shit, I don't know where. They yeah. played Cuba and Canada. All right, so based on their roster that Burhalter chose, there was plenty of MLSers on that squad. I know it's not a World Cup squad, and he's just testing the waters, but there was plenty of people on there. And let me just find my list again from yesterday, if I get to it. So you guys can talk about whatever until I find this. But a big one was Christian Roldan, because I know Dakota had a big fussy butt about that. So <laughs> my, fussy, my fuss was not about him making the U.S. squad. My fuss was about the fact that he's one of the very few that have come through our academy systems or any sort of type of thing and has actually performed well at the national level. And that includes that he's in the same boat as Jordan Morris. He's one of the few. And then that goes back to our the development in the United exactly. States. Because they don't get a chance. So that's what I'm saying. There's Man. Using all those MLS players is not going to get the US, U.S. men's national team very far anything. There's, they're not going to come close to anything. We're not going to escalate as a country within our standing of the soccer world with picking MLS players that don't have the development and who aren't up to par with everybody else in the world. And that's why we struggle against some of this. I'm going to say... Well, let's say starter country teams that we should be absolutely demolishing, but we're losing to them or actually or tying or winning by one Yeah, I mean, Canada beat us 2 nothing in October. And I, if you guys watch that game, we looked, we looked terrible. That was probably the worst U.S. game I've ever watched in my life. Yeah, so... You guys are while you guys are arguing about it, I've got some numbers here. So I'm going based off of the big tournaments that the USA has played in. Unfortunately, we don't have any numbers for the 2018 World Cup because we didn't make it, uh, which is a problem. That everything that we're talking about could, um, you know, it could be the cause of that problem. So 2014 World Cup roster, there were 13 of the 23 players that were on that final roster that played overseas players like Tim Howard played at Everton, John Brooks at Hertha Berlin. And he was one of the German born players. DeMarcus Beasley played at Puebla at that time. Aaron Johansson mixed this or yeah, mixed this screwed uh, Alejandro Bedoya. Uh, Brad Guzan played at Aston Villa at that time. That was one of the other MLS goalies that got sold elsewhere that I was trying to think about earlier. Jermaine Jones, Julian Green, who's a name that we oh haven't heard God, from a I long time. Oh, my God, I completely forgot about that kid. Josie Altidore was at Sunderland in the 2014 World Cup. Jeff Cameron played for Stoke. Timothy Chandler was over in Germany and Fabian Johnson. So, in the 2014 World Cup, we had Jurgen Klinsmann as our, um, as our head coach. And he was the head coach from, like, 2011 to 2016. And he made an effort to bring in those German-Americans. So the Fabian Johnson, Timothy Chandler, Julian Green, Jermaine Jones, uh, who else? And John Brooks, all of them German-American players. So I think it kind of comes in 
waves and who is the coach and what are they looking for? And if I remember correctly, Jurgen Klinsmann has, uh, he's German. He's, he's German American as well. If I remember correct. Yeah, he is. So he, he has his ideas or he had his ideas of what his ideal player would be for the U S men's national team. And that's what they selected. So I also brought up the, so fine, that was the, the 13 of the 23 in the 2014 World Cup were from overseas. In the 2019 Gold Cup, the last major tournament that the USA played in, only three players that were in the starting lineup in the final versus Mexico were from teams overseas. So we had, uh, as we should as we should have predicted, Weston McKinney for Schalke, Christian Pulisic from Chelsea, and Tim Ream that plays at Fulham. Those were our only three out of the 11 in the the championship of the Gold Cup final that we lost to Mexico. And unfortunately, in the most recent news that we've seen, the Olympics have been canceled. But I looked at the roster, and 14 of the 23 on the Olympic roster were MLS players. So there were only nine players that weren't from the MLS. So it's... It's relatively even, but I, Dakota, I kind of still agree with you that, you know, the, the young players should still get their, their chances to play. Yeah, it just doesn't – we have really good young players who are playing, like, not just overseas, but even in the U.S. who just don't get the chance I feel they deserve and – it's frustrating because you see players like you have players in Europe who can play, but we're just not bringing them in. And again, the whole problem with the MLS is we're not developing our young players, Americans as well, and they're not getting even playing time. So all they're practically doing is playing against practice squad or playing against USL kids. And the USL, as we know, is nowhere close to the level that they need to be playing against to prepare themselves for the world cup or the gold cup or any sort of competition, any sort of international friendly. And that's the difference between Europe and here is in Europe, those kids are playing against, even at 18, they're playing against tougher competition and better players than what these kids are over here. And it's, it's just like, that's going to better prepare you for the world cup and the friendlies than playing in the USL is over here and that's not something that we should be wanting or looking for. It should be something else. We should be looking for these players to get more time in the MLS playing against the better players, different stuff like that. I wish visa restrictions weren't as strict. I wish we could send players over to Europe much easier, but it's the way it is, I guess. And it's just frustrating. Sounds like there's trouble trouble in somebody's neighborhood. Yeah, it's uh, it's around here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Hawaii. Like uh, so Dakota, since you were talking about young players, I do have one more stat I believe I want to talk about. So in 2008, that was about a year after the whole academy and homegrown system came to be. So in 2008, no MLS homegrown players play in the U.S. men's national team. Ten years later, in 2018, there had been eight players who had come through the MLS academies and they signed pro contracts and ended up playing for the U.S. men's national team. Um, So according to what you're saying, and I agree with you, only eight players in ten years have come up from the academy system to play for the U.S. men's national team. That's terrible. That's that's nowhere near. We're doing a really bad job at developing our players. I completely agree with you. It's... It's frustrating. That's nowhere near the number that we should be producing. Even if we're sending them overseas, they should be coming through our academies, whatever it takes, and sending them over to Europe before hopefully. I mean, it's just frustrating because a lot of it comes down to visa and immigration rules, which we can't control. But it's frustrating that we're producing. We should, even though we can't send them over, we should be producing these kids, developing these kids enough where they're getting minutes within the MLS until they can get a visa 
standpoint or whatever needs to be done. I mean, yeah. the minutes they do get in the MLS, they usually bring them in like the 90th minute or something like that at the very end just for a, for a random sub to win Yeah, just time, to show so. the country, just to show the MLS commissioner that they care about home growth. Yeah. I mean, you look at the so, crew and I, like, being a crew fan, you look at their homegrown system and our homegrown system is, it's it's not good. It's it's just not good. Uh, unless you want me to elaborate, I can just leave it at it's not very good. So who have we signed to homegrowns? Will Trap, Alex Cornelli. Alex Cognell. Alex Cornelli. Nope. Yeah. And neither I'm with the crew anymore, so... But those are the only two homegrowns who have actually showed success within the U.S. In, within the MLS. You look at yeah. So the same year we signed Will Trap to a homegrown, or the year after, I'm sorry, we signed Ben Swanson. Do you remember us signing Ben Swanson? The kid yep. got loaned out in his first year. He's now without a club. He's not playing in any league. Kyle Highland got cut after his first season within within the MLS with the crew. You guys might have played against this kid. I didn't. Ross Friedman, he signed. He went yep. to Harvard his freshman year. He signed with the crew in 2014, got loaned out to Dayton, hasn't played since. My, Matt Walker, who went to Xavier, Matt Welk, those two players got the same deal as Ross Friedman. Ben Speeds was a homegrown player, played very limited for us, got loaned out to Indy a lot, is now playing for NCFC. And that's just the tip of the iceberg on how disappointing our academy systems have been with our homegrown signings. I can, I mean, I'm sure I can find a lot more on any other. The only homegrown system that has done justice to the U.S. men's national team and to our MLS league is Dallas. I'm not sure if people just aren't following suit. They're not seeing what Dallas is doing and following, but Dallas is the only club who has done justice with this homegrown system. Yeah, and there's there's soccer hubs within the United States, and Dallas is definitely a hot spot for soccer within the U.S. Um, so there are going to be different cities and regions in America that you're going to find more players that – are going to be um, successful within the game, and you're going to find a, a bigger concentration the, of players. I don't think that the disparity should be that wide of a range, though. No, no I, matter where I agree you are, with you. Coach, we should have qualified coaches who can develop players the way they need to be. And that also comes down to the USSF, where coaching licenses are outrageously priced, where most people can't even afford them. Which is a whole different yeah, topic. I agree. Don't get me started. We'll save that for another time if we really want to get into it or I'll keep my thoughts to myself. But that also comes down to that. I mean, we just, yeah. No, not, and I hear you. You know, college, uh, unfortunately, soccer coaches don't get paid enough money. You know, we want to grow the game in America, but we're not willing to pay the people that are, you know, trying to grow the game. And, teach our young players the, the right way to play and build their skills. We're just so educating the coaches. It's not so much paying them, it's educating yeah. them at a price where it's affordable to have coaches who can get further education as at an easier access. Right. But if, but if you are going to charge that money for licensure, you need to be able to pay Enough. your coaches to be exactly. able to obtain those licenses. And that's so we'll, we'll we'll get off this topic. We may we may jump back to this at a later time because Dakota, this is something Dakota is passionate about. Um, but in the meantime, last week we did a really good job. We stayed under fifty minutes. We're already at an hour and four minutes right now. Um, but it's whatever. I think we've had a really good conversation tonight. I think we've had some some really good debate. Is there anything you guys want to close on? Anything you guys want to bring up before we put the show to an end? Not really, honestly. Like, I'm, we covered pretty much covered that, like, what all we wanted to, and we have. I mean, we have plenty more we could actually talk about, but I'm let, like, there's no soccer going on, so we're just gonna save it for more episodes to come. So you guys have more entertainment to enjoy. Yeah, I think what 
Poopus was going off, I think an hour and five, hour and six minutes is pretty well done, considering we could have gone on forever with a lot of the topics. I mean, it's easy to go on and on about just getting lost in discussion and kind of debate, talk about certain stuff, but I thought we did well. Um, I hope everybody just enjoys the rest of their week. Um, tune in if you haven't tuned in. Thank you for the people who have continued listening. Um, it really does mean a lot. We're not professionals or anything like that. We're just three kids trying to find some enjoyment outside of our work life to do something that we're passionate about. So thank you to everybody listening. Yeah, I want to basically say thank you as well. I, I believe Poopus's child, Donovan, is also trying to say thank you. <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I just want to say thank you to everybody who, who you know, takes the time. If you're going to take, whether it's 30 minutes, you know, just to listen to the first 30 minutes or if you want to listen to the full episode, we appreciate all of our listeners. Uh, we really hope that everybody's staying inside, following all the CDC's protocols and, you know, I, if, you know, since, since you're bored and stuck at home, there ain't nothing else better to do than listen to us three talk about soccer. And if you enjoy the sport, then you're going to, you're going to love listening to this. That's for sure. So put it on your, put it on your speaker. And if you want to vacuum at the same time, you can, you don't even got to listen to us, but you're giving us a play. But uh, yeah, give us a follow on Twitter. If you guys have Twitter, it's at MLS gone, G O N wild W I L D. Give us a follow on there. We're going to be posting our MLS five-a-side teams. So if you guys want to vote on the, um, the, the, the team that you think is the best or the team that, we, that you think is constructed best out of everybody. So and if you guys want please to, make start... your own team also. Let us know what you guys feel about your guys' teams. Yeah, and, all, and also while you're at it, guys, if you're listening, go ahead and make your own podcast. You know, it's I, I put a post up on Facebook and Twitter earlier this week. It's – it's a really good creative outlet for all of us. Like Dakota said, you know, outside of work, this is something we're all really passionate about. And we look forward to every Wednesday night where even though we're not together, we get to either drink beer or wine together and be stupid and talk about soccer. So it's, it's fun. So I encourage everybody to find. Yeah. I mean, that. going back to what, so if you guys about- listen on Spotify or Apple, please give us a good rating. If you guys enjoy what we're talking about, because those ratings really help. It gets us higher up on the list when it comes to when people search MLS or soccer, it really gets us up on the list. So if you're enjoying what you're hearing, please leave a um, rate, a review. Let us know how we're doing. Just a couple yeah. of swell guys talking about soccer. That's all you get here. So, Yeah. Dakota, how many Hazy James? I mean, have? what? I've had, Hazy I'm on James. my third one now. No, oh, I'm way ahead of you. I'm on five. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, I'm going to go ahead and close out now. You guys can close out after me. But, uh, again, we appreciate everybody listening. And I'm going to go ahead and close out for the night. Until next Wednesday. Oh, well, you guys, we record Wednesday. You guys here Thursday. So, until next Thursday, uh, y'all take care. Take it easy. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll see y'all. Yeah, you guys have a good night. <laughs> Be safe. Stay home. Drink a lot of alcohol. Not really, but, you know, whatever you guys want to do. See you guys next week. (laughs) Yeah, guys, I'll see you guys next week. Enjoy your weeks. We'll see you guys.